Welcome to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. Today in the, let's call it a studio, I have with me, not Michael, but my excellent wife, who you may call Smokey the Magnificent. Say hello, Smokey. Hello, Smokey. No, you're supposed to... Never mind. this episode, we are going to answer some reader questions that were submitted on Facebook. We will do a couple of episodes like this, and we will get into more complicated questions next time, but we thought we'd start easy. Smokey, what is it like living in Middle-earth? Well, I'm going to assume that when people ask this, what they mean is, what's it like living in Middle-earth compared to living in the USA? So just to keep it concise, we made a list, and we're just going to tell them what we have and what we don't have. All right, Smokey, what don't we have? Okay, we don't have Chick-fil-A, the Cheesecake Factory, Dairy Queen, Cracker Barrel, Walmart, Southern Style Barbecue, which is really sad, Factory Farmed Cows, less sad, Football, School Spirit, Thanksgiving, Cougars, Bears. But we do have Beats and Battlestar Galactica. True. Wolves, squirrels, raccoons, woodchucks, beavers, chipmunks, moles, groundhogs, voles, snakes, hamsters. But there was that one time. There was a, an incident, yes. So hamsters are actually illegal here because... We learned the very hard way that when you introduce strange and unusual species into our system, lots of our native species die. So yeah, um, you get fined, I believe it is something like $5,000 and some time in prison if you bring a hamster back. And a woman did try it, and she managed to smuggle the hamster successfully through customs by, I think, spraying perfume on the sock, and then the hamster was in the sock or something like that. <laughs> and she got away with it, except that then the hamster got sick, and she took it to the vet and claimed it was a rat. The vet was not convinced? She claimed it was a tailor's rat called hamster. Mm. She's like, no, 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 it's just its name. It's rat, really. Uh, we also do not have gibbles. Uh, crocodiles or alligators. Fireflies, pumpkin pie, historic buildings built before 1821. That is literally the oldest one we have. Guns, mostly. Yeah, we, have, we pretty much don't have guns. We have no semi or fully automatic weapons. And the only guns that you're allowed to have, I think, are limited to five round magazines, except in the case of some 22 lever actions, which are allowed to have like this, the full tube, which is usually like nine or something. Okay. We also don't have an ozone layer, sadly. That's your fault, by the way, if you're American. And we do not tip at restaurants. What do we have, Nani? We have Christmas and summer, which is very difficult for a lot of men to get their heads around. And I suppose a lot of women. Yeah, I mean, it is weird, honestly. It's, it's weird even for us. It's a lot of cognitive dissonance. Yeah. We have black sand beaches because we are a volcanic nation. We have a very contentious bird of the year competition, which last year was won by a bat. We in case have... you were wondering what our political system is like in New Zealand. Well, <laughs> kind of a... let's not talk about our political system. Yeah. We do have a political system. It's called tyranny. Yes, yes. We have volcanoes, earthquakes, good coffee. Believe yep. it or not, you guys, I know you don't know what good coffee is, and I'm sorry, but we do have it. We have meat pies, which for some reason are not a thing in America, which is completely bizarre to me because it was largely founded by people from England and the continent where meat pies are a thing. And surely America, of all places, would welcome meat pies. We have glowworms, spectacular scenery, chocolate that doesn't taste like vomit. Yeah, see, that sounds like a diss, but it's actually not because you, at least Hershey's and other cheap chocolate over there, you, you have butyric acid in it. And that is the same compound that is found in Parmesan cheese and spoiled milk and vomit. We don't have that. No, chocolate. our chocolate tastes good. Tastes like actual chocolate. Yeah, so imagine chocolate without the vomit, and you'll be like, huh. Yeah. We also have Terrible Roads. We have Fly to the Concord, New Zealand's fourth most popular folk parody duo. We have Kuni Kuni Pigs, which are the best pigs. Hmm. The name literally means fat, fat pig. 
Possibly the most permissive yet government-funded homeschooling system in the world. If you want to homeschool without red tape, uh, with a big community of homeschoolers and get a tax cut for doing it, this is the place. Although it's still annoying and obnoxious that you have to submit an exemption. We have a surprisingly vibrant film industry for such a smaller place. A single theme park with a single roller coaster. That's for the entire country. For the en- I looked it up to just to make Literally sure, yeah. the entire country. <laughs> yep. Because if you think about it, that makes sense, because most cities of 5 million have maybe one theme park, and we have 5 million people. We have the America's Cup, rugby, Taika Waititi, who is a mixed bag, fish and chops, an unhinged dictator of a prime minister, as I was alluding to previously, insanely expensive petrol. You think that it's funny, but it's not. We pay $9.84 New Zealand microdollars for one gallon of petrol. That's about $6.56 US. And we have possums. Yes, you think you have possums, you have opossums. Those are like ugly, ratty creatures. Ours are like cute, adorable, ecologically devastating, different-looking possums. Look them up, thank you. We crushed that question. Next question. I am reaching out to hear your thoughts on an embryo adoption. We have a couple at our church doing it. I have a hard time seeing a biblical explanation for it. Curious for your thoughts. The reason I happen to know about embryo adoption is that I have a friend who has done it. And when she told us about this, I... I told my son a few years ago, so he was about maybe six or seven at the time, um, and I explained the whole thing, IVF, you know, freezing and, and transferring embryos and so on, and I thought he got it, and he was like, oh, that's really cool, and I was like, yeah, isn't it? And life went on, and then a few days later he was like, hey mum, do you remember that thing you were telling me about where they put the newborn babies in the freezer until somebody adopts them? It's difficult to get your mind around the idea of a baby before it's born if you're a small child, I suppose. I guess so. So embryo adoption is a side effect, as it were, of the IVF process, where a woman's eggs are harvested, they're fertilized, they're made into tiny little babies and frozen, because you don't want to implant them all at once, or you'll end up with, you know, an octomom situation. In theory, they can survive for a very long time. In practice, of course, you, you don't have forever to have babies, and usually by the time people are doing IVF, they're already kind of getting up there in years, so people often end up with leftover babies. It's sort of a real ethical issue because the storage company does charge to store them and they don't really want to throw them out if you don't pay because they sort of realise throwing out people's babies is a bit dodgy. But people often just don't know what to do. They don't want to sort of kill them, but they don't want to have them. They've had their families. So these babies just kind of sit there on ice forever. In stasis. In stasis, yeah. So um, some people end up donating them to medical research. Some people do discard them. And some people donate them to an adoptive couple who, who wants to have babies. The process, I think it differs state by state, but it tends to be similar to an actual normal live birth adoption. They'll you know go through the, the families and find one they like and interview you. Um, they can decide whether it's going to be an open adoption or a closed one. And then you get your batch of babies and you have them. So in essence... Embryo adoption is no different in principle than adopting any other baby. It's just that the baby is way, way younger. So it's a perfectly reasonable thing for Christians to do. One of the most important things, in my opinion, is to be honest with children about adoption, because it's quite important, especially biblically speaking, that children know what their heritage is. There is a certain temptation when you're doing embryo adoption to pretend that they're your kids and to never let them know, which is easy to do compared to if you have a regular adoption, because you've even got things like pregnancy photos or maybe even a birth video, and that makes it quite simple for people to have no idea that you ever adopted them. It is important for children to know their heritage, and we have a friend who did an embryo adoption and they had an open adoption policy. Mm. So the biological parents came and visited recently, and that makes things a lot more complex. But I think it's also a good thing to do, again, because children deserve to know their heritage. It's definitely weird, though. 
But the good news is the parents are likely to be less problematic than other forms of adoption because they're probably not drug users. They're probably not abusive. They're probably just fairly normal couples that did IVF and who cared enough to not kill their extra babies. Another issue I think that could come up is is just commitment. When you adopt a group of, of frozen embryos, you've got this kind of already not yet partial preterist adoption thing going on. They're alive. They're not going anywhere. You need to have them at some point. And obviously that's what you want to do. But you do need to think really hard about what would happen if something went wrong. Like, say your first birth was awful, really traumatic and horrible, and you didn't ever want to go through that again. Well, if you've still got four embryos waiting for you, that's going to be tough. What if your husband dies? Do you want to sort of bring the existing babies into the world without their father? What if the wife dies? Do you want to sort of have a really weird first date question <laughs> thing? You know, hey. So hey, want to have my frozen babies? <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, or if, if someone gets sick, you know, there are sort of um, practical issues that you really do have to, if, presuming you're being, you know, pro-life here and you're committed, you can't let them down. You know, if you were to sort of pass them along to another couple, that is, I would say, ethically the same as giving up your own children for adoption, which is sometimes the right thing to do, but only in very extreme circumstances, I would say. Plus, there's no guarantee that you'll actually find a couple to adopt them. That is true, yeah. There's also the possibility that if you implant even a single embryo, you might get two because IVF pregnancies do have higher rates of twinning and at five days old, they can twin. But there's also the possibility that many of the pregnancies won't be successful. I don't think that's an ethical problem because like, you are doing the best you can to give them a chance at life, but you might find it very, very hard to go through multiple miscarriages and you might end up you know, adopting an embryo group of six and thinking you're having this one big you know, biologically related to each other group of siblings and you end up with you know, one baby. So that's something you'd want to think about emotionally if, if you're prepared to go through with that. So short answer, it's wonderful that Christians are willing to step up and give life and love and homes to discarded babies just as they did in the first century. And it's amazing that unlike in regular adoption, the adoptive parents get to experience pregnancy and birth and control the prenatal environment. Embryo adoption is a good response to a very ethically dubious situation, IVF, in vitro fertilization, but it's definitely not something that anyone should do lightly. All right, what are your thoughts on dating a single mother, and are they as bad as the red pill manosphere makes them out to be? <laughs> well, firstly, nothing is as bad as the red pill manosphere makes it out to be. <laughs> Primarily because God's grace is a real thing, and actually does change people. Second of all, you have to be nuanced here. I hate the word nuance. It's usually cover for some weaseling. But you do have to be nuanced without being naive. Elizabeth Elliot was a single mother. But most single mothers are not going to be Elizabeth Elliot. Some women get divorced because their husbands are awful. And some women get divorced because they are awful. Some women's opinions of who is the awful spouse do not reflect reality. A while back, Michael got into big trouble on Twitter because he posted a very common sense thread on basically why you should be careful about dating single mothers. And his advice was simply find out why they are a single mother. Don't just jump into it because in our culture, it's like being a single mother is almost like a status symbol, a sort of celebrity. Single mothers are the, the highest tier of our society now, and you have to pay them homage, which is just kind of dumb if you think about it. Single mothers can be a very respectable and worthy thing that people should be wanting to help them with, or they can be just awful and deserve to be single, quite honestly. So if you're considering dating someone who's a single mother, I would be much less concerned about what the Red Pill Manosphere thinks, and much more concerned about finding out her specific situation and why it is that she's single, and getting two or three witnesses to corroborate what she's saying so that you can go into it with your eyes open. And also, it's important to remember that it's not just you who could suffer with a single mother. This is sort of high-stakes dating, because there are children, and these children may have already lost their father. They may have never had a father. They may be emotionally damaged. 
Um, they may have very different personalities to you. They may have a father who is in the picture but is a scary man or an unpleasant man or a man whose parenting styles and beliefs are very different to yours. So it's going to be a much more complicated situation. And what you don't want to do is date their mother and then decide eight months in that you aren't really feeling it and you know they've all gotten attached to you but you really don't feel like you want to raise somebody else's kids. Try to figure that out before you <laughs> break their hearts, basically. I think that there's a, a view in the Red Pill Manosphere that dating a single mother makes you a cuck because you're raising someone else's kids. Obviously, every man wants to raise his own kids. But the truth is that in the current situation, with the, the number of high-quality women that we have, if you meet a high-quality single mother who is single through no fault of her own, or even is single because she did something really wrong and has repented of it, if she is genuinely a high-quality woman, I would be much more concerned about having a high-quality wife than about raising someone else's children. And unless she's fairly old, you're probably going to be able to have more children anyway. Well, I mean, adoption is spoken of very highly in the Bible. It's a major theme, isn't it? And also true. It is basically a form of adoption. Yeah, I mean, Red Pill Sphere guys like to say that Joseph was a cuck too for raising Jesus and <laughs> his sons. So. Nice. Yeah. Last question, Smokey. When are we going to become an American? I find this a strange question because as far as I can tell, it is a kind of natural evolutionary process. You get enough you know, freedom points and you sprout American flags from your back and you ride off into the sunset and you call like a bald eagle and it's done, you know? Isn't that how it works? I think that's how it works. It's just that right now in New Zealand, freedom is in very short supply. So it's hard for us, you guys. So the short answer to that question, honestly, is probably never. The long answer is at the beginning of 2021, we made a plan to come to the US for a few weeks in order to scout things out and see if we wanted to come over for a longer period, like two or three years maybe, to be able to bring a church plant back from the US to New Zealand, probably a CREC church plant. That idea has been more or less kiboshed by all of the COVID nonsense. But if you know someone who works in the visa office and you can pull some strings it isn't something that we have given up on. It's just something that providentially looks very difficult right now. Our aim is not to immigrate to the US, but rather to gather resources and to return to New Zealand and plant a church here. And right now, also potentially to flee Herod until he's dead, Herod being Jacinda Ardern, and to return when our children are older and we have more of a battle platoon rather than a bunch of soft grubs. Hmm. hmm. Well said. Oh, it was well said. Yeah, so for the record, I do have um, American citizenship, actually. I was sort of randomly born in Massachusetts. But if I want to bring in my husband and children, that requires a lot more red tape and a lot of money and drama. Great deal of strange drama where you have to be the moneymaker for at least three months or something. Yeah, and I think live there for a while by myself before you get there. And... But as I say, if you know someone who can help us do this, we are certainly open to the possibility. Those are all the questions that we're going to answer today, Smokey. So until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. Uh -huh.